The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Madness, my friends. It's all about madness, I think. Hi-Fi Radio, show about money. Bankruptcies abound. Just got back from a ski vacation. There was no vacation. It was stress. But uh, got some powder, you know? Thank you, Banff, for another five fine days. Uh, I'm going to continue with my frustration with, um, you know, eating out at restaurants and you're getting these machines pumped into your face where they're having you tip on tax. In Alberta, Jack, it doesn't matter as much because tax in Alberta is 3%. Here it's 11 So a $100 bill... Right, 11% tax is another $11, tipping on top of that. The lowest they want now is 18%. Excuse me, back in the day, tips were for really good service. Really good service, you got a tip. Average was 10, super was 15. Now it's 18, if 18 you're cheap, 20 you're okay, 22 you're a pretty good person. Are you 18 to 22 and that's tipping on top of the tax? At least in Alberta you can avoid that, but guess what? Food inflation hit them. The ski resort that I was at three months prior saw price increases on the menu 10 to 20% across the board. 10 to 20% across the board. And Jack then had an issue about my white, my, uh, white Russians. I like a white Russian when I ski. And uh, I had an Australian fellow make me a white Russian and it just tasted a little funky. I said, what did you do different? You put, yeah, I put clue in it. Something else. We also put coffee in it. That's what it says on the internet. Well, I Googled how to make a white Russian on the internet, and I'm actually glad we did that. And so on the internet, uh, it says to make a white Russian, it's two ounces of vodka and one ounce of coffee liqueur. My Aussie friend put coffee and liqueur in it, uh, so he doubled up on the coffee fund. But uh, two to one. Then I went to the airport to get another white Russian, just before I boarded my plane. And the bartender turned his back to me, took out this little shot glass in a quick up-down with the elbow action, up-down, like real quick, a little quick spritz in the... It turned out to be under a one-ounce drink, half ounce vodka, half ounce Kahlua. It wasn't a two-to-one ratio, so the, the drink was incorrect, and then the machine came at me. He did not get 18 points, baby. He was down to 10. Ah, right, I got him. I felt good about myself. <laughs> Jack, did you know, we're talking about house prices um, and about house prices coming off and interest rates rising and causing mortgage rates to rise. Um, but this fantastic chart from Redfin, uh, Charlie uh, Biello, I believe his name is, where we get these charts from, on a real... Adjusted, adjusted for inflation, house prices have in the United States appreciated by about 100% over the last 130 years. Over a 130-year period, the real... Jack's, yeah, Jack's eyes are well, popping. i got to think about it a lot. Real, real prices have increased by about 100%, right? Okay. Adjusting for inflation. I got it, yeah. uh, So, again, I've always believed that real estate will pace inflation plus a little bit. This tells me it, it paces inflation plus 1%, right? 100%, 100 years. Um, the other one that has me, you like bacon, Jack. I saw that. Well, yes, yeah, so this that. one's fantastic. They don't sell you a pound anymore, right? A pound yeah. is now a half pound. Or excuse me, it's 230 grams. Yeah, we, <laughs> but, we, we talk but, about, we but talk about cost, rate of change. But so a cost of a dozen eggs and a pound of bacon. Uh, from when I was in university to, to today, so 40 years prior, the cost for a dozen eggs and a pound of bacon was $2. Today, it's not a pound anymore. It's less than a pound. So a dozen eggs, uh, which is still 12 I believe, uh, <laughs> and some bacon comes up to $11.63, up five-fold. 
There's a moral to the story, my friend. The plural, of course. All of you out there at home, listen to Hi-Fi Radio Show about money. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager, helping all build wealth along with my partner, Jack Hartle. The moral of the story is you have to beat inflation. Uh, you must beat inflation. And guess what? You have to attack on the tax man. So when you're looking at investment plan, investment strategy, and I, I say all this because you can easily run for shelter right now and feel good about you know buying a GIC in the high fours or the low fives. Seems like a pretty decent bet. Um, but risk of inflation, um, uh, reinvestment risk, uh, and taxes. Uh, I, I'm going to throw in longevity risk as well, because even at the key. current rate for GICs, and I went through it with a client, I'm going to say 4 or 5%, depending on the term structure that you're looking at right now, which is more favorable than it's been, and I'm going to say in the last at least 15 years. Correct. At least 15 years. Uh, our portfolios have done more than double that over the last 10 yeah, years. You're right. And so th there is longevity risk out there as well. Cash is the worst asset And, and the point is longevity risk for those that don't know, obviously, outliving your money. It's real. It's a real, no, outliving your money is a real, real risk. Uh, we have such great healthcare here in Ontario, don't we? Different conversation. Uh, again, just trying to set the table for a discussion with a amazing partner that Jack and I have working uh, behind the scenes, uh, but on the Wolf on Bay Street team, the one and only Mr. Scott Chan. Uh, Scott is Canaccord's lead financial analyst covering the Canadian banks, Canadian life co's. Uh, just spent an hour with us on a, on a fabulous one-on-one -on -one discussion about the crises with the regional banks in America. Uh, it was great to catch up with you yesterday, Scott. You really impressed, the, I will say, the branch. Uh, kudos to you and all of your great work and uh, wow, fantastic knowledge uh, of the financial sector from credit cards to insurance companies, uh, both sides of the border. Obviously, you, you don't cover all those companies. You cover the Canadian names primarily, but you have an opinion, an educated educated knowledge about the broad sector. And I'm very, very impressed with all of your knowledge uh, uh, within. Uh, so thank you for that. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. Let's get caught up. Uh, we had a couple of serious <laughs> dislocations in the United States. We're going to call them bank rupsies, <laughs> right? Uh, and in fact, the second and third largest in American history, uh, only followed by WAMU, a.k.a. Washington Mutual. I was quite surprised by that statistic. So these little regionals were, well, they're pretty big bankruptcies in America. Let's talk about it. Um, and most importantly, the contagion effect, the ramifications on a go-forward basis. Uh, please give us your thoughts. Yeah, yeah thanks, uh, Wolf and uh, Jack, for having me again. And uh yeah, you know, ironically, when you talked about vacation, I just got back as well. So uh, <laughs> kind of erupted uh, when I landed, frankly, uh, in Pitsicana. So I uh, didn't enjoy it as much, but, um, you know, certainly uh, trying times and uh, markets were very volatile. And I, and I think they will continue to be going forward. Um, you know, in terms of c contagion risk, you're starting to see with other regional banks, uh, like First Republic comes to mind right now. That's the one that's been pretty topical uh, over the last couple of days. And, um, you know, similar to Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, uh, you know, they're getting a runoff on deposits. And uh, on the asset side, they have more fixed income securities relative to loans. And with the higher interest rate environment in the U.S. Uh, that we've seen since um, since early 2022, uh, it's really impacted the mark-to-mark -mark value or fair value gains on these portfolios. Uh, and to sell would uh, would deep losses. It's a good thing over the weekend uh, the U.S. policymakers uh, stepped in um, and um, issued like unprecedented uh, rules in terms of 
uh, protecting uninsured deposits, uh, which, which was the runoff at Silicon Valley Bank, uh, and then also uh, protecting uh, these mark-to-market securities, and specifically U.S. Treasuries and U.S. mortgage bonds, uh, in terms of replacing it uh, with par and not on um, a mark-to-market basis. So um, contagion risk is, is really tough to ascertain. Um, as you guys know, the U.S. market is a lot different than Canada. It's fragmented. There's thousands of publicly traded uh, U.S. banks. I'm, I'm no expert on um, on each individual one, but certainly you're going to get contagion effects uh, that trickle into the market, and it's been, um, you know, you started to see it early this week as well. well so, no, no, I want to jump back. Sorry, Jack. I'm gonna, I will give it back to you, Jack, but something was on my burning mind. I want to help the audience out have a better understanding of what happened. Uh, and again, please, Jack and, and Scott, jump in where I, where I, where I get it wrong. Because again, it's, we learn as we go in this business, uh, aka fake it till you make it. <laughs> Forget it. Um, so what happened? You, you have these two little regional banks. Uh, one is called what? The Silicon Valley Bank, sp- yeah. specialized in the IT sector in Silicon Valley. It took deposits in. I, so people, companies and individuals deposited their money at the bank. Uh, tech companies don't borrow a lot of money. Um, and so they had excess money in deposits. They have to do something with that money and make what's called a spread. They, got, they, want to pay, they, they have to pay you for the deposit, not much, but they want, want to actually make money off your deposit. And they do that by lending the money out. So, and if, what happened is these banks didn't necessarily make a lot of uh, loans per se, or didn't make enough loans to su- suffice all of their deposits. So they lent money in a different way. They bought bonds. And yeah. here's the issue. They bought bonds, and as interest rates go up, bonds go down. So all of a sudden, the bonds that they purchased as interest rates rose were worth less money. They were losing money on the bonds. They had to continue to pay the depositor. And then a few depositors, and you can speak to this part, Scott, a bit better. A few depositors decide, you know something, things are getting a little shaky here. This bond portfolio is probably going to collapse. Let's exit. And then social media kicked in and expedited the whole downward draft and it's no different than scott who's on vacation i'm on vacation we have our phones connected to us they're pinging and so you're all of a sudden engaged in this downward spiral and so the speed and velocity to which it occurs today is quicker than it's ever been in history remarkable company bump up companies bankrupt what two three days um so i share that with the audience to have them have a better understanding jack i'm gonna give you nine and we'll bring it back to you when we come out of the break uh scott what i wanted to say was the fact that just looking at you know silicon valley bank how how quickly did this happen relative to what you've seen with a, a company like Wamu or in the past? And, and how was it just accentuated with social media? No, I mean, it was absolutely huge. Um, Silicon Valley Bank, it, it was like um, it was like 48 hours, right, where, um, you know, Twitter and social media started to, to pop up. Um, There's a runoff on deposits of uh, all these commercial uh, VC tech companies where, um, essentially pulling out money. Oh, uh, venture capital money was leaving. That's interesting. So yeah, basically so what like, it was, was just a classic run on a bank that was accelerated, fueled by technology and social media. Kind of ironic because they were lending to tech companies. It, it, it's incredible. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. Look, we've got to take a quick break. We're spending some precious time with our lead bank analyst, Mr. Scott Chan uh, of Canaccord Genuity. Uh, Jack Hartle, of course, partner of mine, Wolf on Bay Street team. Any questions for Jack or I, please... Reach out to us. Send us a note, uh, wolfonbasebeat.com. Uh, take a look at our performance. I think you'll be very impressed. And as I've always said, always said for 21 years, performance matters. Someone's trying to take that from me, and I'm not going to let them have it. 
We'll get right back to you. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the show about money. Why is he so happy? I'll tell you why I'm happy. Because we're getting through a bear market. It will end. Mark my word. Did I not promise you last year that, trust me, next year will be different? Eh? It's different. Indeed it is. Uh, But no, I'm actually getting quite keen. A lot of fear out there. A lot of panicky calls. Um, Jack did some fantastic bond analysis this week, uh, for me, and uh, I shared it with the team. Really, really good work you did this week, Jack, about analyzing the bond market. But the the bond market, according to Jack, says the Fed, i.e. the Central Bank of the United States, is pretty near, pretty near, finished raising interest rates. Um, Bank of Canada, of course, already paused. So, yeah, it's good. You know, the problems that we are witnessing are because interest rates were rising. Well, that party or lack of is over we believe. Uh, And that's a good thing. Uh, So you got the bond market no longer uh, being as negative and volatile. You have a lot of damage done. And also Scott Jan, uh, our bank analyst uh, joining us, uh, continuing through the show here. Uh, Scott, you know something that Jack said repeatedly, repeatedly in our corner of the floor where we manage our billions of dollars for clients. Uh, He said, well, we won't be at bottom or near bottom until something breaks. The Fed I.e., the central bank has to raise interest rates enough to break something. Bingo! They finally did it. Hey, they broke a couple of banks. All right, that's what happens. A bear market begins and people continue to hold on, you hold on, you hold on, until eventually uncle is, sa- is spoken. Well, you, you just have to look at what Jerome Powell said last Fed meeting, and that was just a month ago. He was saying that we may have to go higher than people expect and hold for longer. Right? Market went down on that news. Was not very happy, yeah. right? Because he's very hawkish. Now, they go out and break something. What happens to the two-year bond? The two-year bond is one of the best indicators for what Fed policy is going to do because that's where people are actually placing their bets as opposed to listening to, I'm going to say, the Fed jargon that goes along. It fell 100 basis points in three days. That's the most rapid decrease in three days since 1987. Problem is 1987 also had another crash too. So be careful what you wish for. It's saying that the Fed is done. Policy rate is going lower but the economic slowing is still in front of us. Well, so, so Jack spoke about the two-year bond. Again, the bond market's a different, it's a different animal uh, and worthy of, of study, uh, which Jack does and I do as, as well. And I, as you study, you learn. Uh, Jack taught me some valuable stuff this week. So the two-year bond uh, is what the central bank uh, you, is benchmarked off of. The two-year bond basically tells you the direction of the central bank. Uh, the five-year bond... That is the direction of mortgage rates and the same story. Five-year bond pointing lower lately, therefore expect mortgage reprieve. The 10-year bond, that's what you value stocks with. And as that goes down, which it has, stocks can rise. I'm walking on sunshine. Uh, Scott, uh, pretty good uh, layup there on the bond market and direction uh, therein. 
Uh, let's, 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 let's pivot over to uh, your area of expertise, which is the uh, Canadian banks. Uh, we pretty much put to bed. The contagion is hard to measure, but likely we uh, here, here in Canada will be okay. Um, but there is still some exposure. Uh, can you tell us where you think the, expo- the most exposure is to these regional banks here at home? Yeah, yeah. So for the big six Canadian banks, TD would have the uh, the highest exposure in the U.S. Um, you know, when you look at PNC and regional exposure, um, and, and call it like forty percent. So it's a pretty big business for TD, um, and they also have a large equity stake in Charles Schwab, which is a publicly traded security, which hasn't reacted well uh, since the SVB news as well. Uh, on top of that, they are still ongoing into, um, you know, a big acquisition called First Horizon down south. Um, it's been extended twice and it's still going through regulatory um, scrutiny, but TD would have the largest exposure out of the Canadian banks. BMO would be second, uh, close to 30%. Remember, they just recently closed their Bank of the West, um, you know, acquisition and, uh and in terms of the lowest exposure, it would be Bank of Nova Scotia. As everyone knows, they're more international, focused on LATAM countries, and then National Bank, uh, you know, more Canadian-focused um, and uh, has very limited U.S. exposure. The ones with about high single-digit exposure on the PNC side would be Royal Bank, Blue City National Bank, um, hmm. and then CIBC through uh, Private Bank Corp. Of course, world does have a massive wealth management and capital markets business in the U.S., uh, both top 10. So collectively, world's exposure is higher. But uh, in terms of the PNC exposure, uh, direct regional exposure, it's, uh, it's still relatively low. Scott, how concerned are you about, you mentioned TD is right off the top there. So how concerned are you about their exposure to the U.S.? You said they got 40%. They got Schwab. First Horizon acquisition, because when we spoke to you a couple days ago, that also presents an opportunity because price matters, valuation matters, obviously quality of business matters. Uh, can you maybe speak to that? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think they're getting hit disproportionately uh, because of the FCB news and even beforehand because of the, um, you know, continued delays on the first, um, you know, Horizon acquisition. I mean, listen, like TD typically trades at a premium valuation historically, and, and we're going back decades here. If we look at it today, it's trading at just over eight times earnings uh, versus over 11 times historically. Uh, and that's because TD has trailed here to date and uh, more recently with the FCB news over the past week. So we think there's an opportunity uh, for TD to narrow that gap uh, one, it's the U.S. banking system and the regional banks rallying. Two, uh, on the first horizon side, you know, there's a possibility they can negotiate a lower price from, from when they first announced it, uh, call it 15 months ago. Um, and, and that would set them up better for, for more excess capital and make their accretion estimates a little bit better. Or potentially they can walk away as well. Um, and that would be positive for the stock, in my view, because they will have even more excess capital as well, you said this uh, at, at earlier in the call, cash is king right now, um, especially for banks. And this is real cash, uh, and um, you know that is uh, that would be deemed very positive from a valuation perspective. And if, if you think about it, you're talking about a high quality bank that has a lot of near term bad news priced in. I don't know what the exact multiple is, but say say it is trading at eight times uh, forward earnings. If it just re rates to I'm going to say ten times for investors to to realize that. What you're getting is a 20% return. So just by re-rating and you know bad news getting less bad 
can can certainly provide outsized returns. So it, it just goes to show you that, you know, markets, I'm going to say, are efficient in the short term at pricing in the near term news. But if you look a little forward and take out that telescope and look for opportunities, um, if you can look through that news, you can look through the noise, recognize that you've got a great business, you can get a lot of uh, reward as an investor just by revaluation. Um, Scott, you continue yeah. to believe that the Canadian banks will continue to raise dividends uh, on a semi-annual basis. Um, that's very impressive how, how, how such an entity can continue to increase their dividend almost every other quarter. Uh, how can they do it? I can tell you, Wolf, they got an oligopoly yeah. that's regulated by the government. And you know what? Canadians pay for it. No different than telecoms. Scott, is there anything else to it? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're highly profitable. You saw it last quarter. Uh, they continue to be highly profitable, uh, even right now, post-pandemic. Uh, so they have a lot of excess capital still. And uh, all these big stick banks know that dividend um, increases is, is a priority for investors, whether you're institutional, retail, uh, or pension funds. So they're going to prioritize in terms of capital deployment, dividend increases. In fact, like when you talk about TD right now, TD almost yields 5%. Uh, the group yields 5% right now. Um, and, we, and when we look out two quarters ago, um, you know, remember TD raised their dividend by 8%, which was higher than what, what the market was suspecting. Uh, and if you look at their last quarter, it was pretty high quality relative to the group. It's just all the outside, um, outside noise that is affecting the TD stock and its valuation. In fact, next quarter, so looking at fiscal Q2, we're, we're forecasting dividend increases of from five of the six banks um, by, on average, about 3% quarter over quarter. Uh, the only bank not to do so is TD, because TD is a bank that raises their dividend uh, once a year, whereas the other banks uh, follow um, a dividend pattern with every other quarter. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think despite the yields being high, uh, we still envision the big six banks raising their dividends next quarter. Well, yeah, the dividend deals of the big six bank range anywhere between uh, four and almost six percent. Uh, so very, very generous and much more attractive again than a uh, a piece of fixed income, i.e., a bond uh, yield. Plus, you have the dividend tax credit uh, in taxable Canadian accounts. So again, a bit more benefit. But even in looking at the valuation, yeah, they're trading. You know just outside of historic norms. But, you know, when you get a bank for eight or nine, even 10 times earnings, they give you half the earnings as a dividend, keep the other half to build up a war chest, make an acquisition south of the border. It seems to be working pretty well for all six of them. You know, give and take and, you know, certain off years, you know, put aside. It seems to be a pretty successful strategy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, big six banks, um, you know, typically historically have performed very, very well. I've outperformed the CSX composite, um, but they tend to, um, you know, be a bit more volatile, especially in the smart market. It seems like volatility continues to persist for for, for, for everyone. But should you uh, buy them when they're down or buy them when they're up? Yeah. No, I asked the question. I'm going to oh. jump in there, Wolf. I'm going to say buy them when they're down. Yeah. Collect their dividends. Don't complain about fees and know that you're actually getting paid yourself. Uh, I would leave this, uh, Scott, just... Your opinion, because uh, I've, I've had clients concerned about their deposits. They've seen what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. There was, I think, $42 billion worth of deposits that left that bank. And number one question, where did those deposits go? Number two, are Canadians safe having their deposits 
in a Canadian institution. I know there's CIDC insurance of up to $100,000, but um, my view is yes. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on the topic? Yeah, you're right. $42 billion left on Thursday at Silicon Valley Bank. And to put that into proportion, that was 24% of their deposit base evaporated in yep. four or five hours. And that's the power. In four to five hours, Scott. Like, at that point, needs yeah. to be emphasized. They lost a quarter of their, their assets in four to five hours. Thank you, social. Yeah, yeah. It was all it was all social. Just like just like you, I was looking at Twitter, uh, looking at pictures, and uh, most people were were uh, were um, uh, redeeming from their online accounts, and then the system broke, and uh, and then everything kind of cratered after that. But when we think about the Canadian banks, uh, the deposit story is a lot different north of the border. Uh, if you look at last quarter, uh, the Canadian banks in total, their deposits were up three percent quarter for quarter. Right, so no uh, run of the bank. Yeah, people yeah. continue to put money in. You know, I, I, again, I'm just having this quick vision. When I when I when I travel, you, you end up watching slightly different television often when you're chilling out. So I watched some Turner Broadcasting T, uh, TCM, and uh, John Wayne and uh, the likes were doing uh, World War II uh, Normandy. Uh, the Longest Day is the name of the movie. Classic, classic, classic. And at one point in the movie, uh, they had to get a message back to home base, so they used a pigeon. Put the message in the pigeon, threw it up in the air, and the pigeon flew the wrong direction. That'll slow down a bank. That'll run. slow down a, slow down your withdrawals. Hey, no, no, not today. No pigeons being used. Scott Chan, bank analyst, can accord, uh, my friend. Honestly and dearly, thank you for all of your insight. Uh, great, great help. Uh, help uh, restore a little bit of confidence in a bit of an uncertain time. Uh, this too shall pass, uh, I wholeheartedly believe. Uh, we'll stay close to you, my friend, and uh, thanks again for all the updates. Going to take a quick break, speak with uh, our analyst, Mr. George, uh, sustainability analyst, covers the names like Tesla, MP Materials, and Rivian Automotive. We are going electric. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You got a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Across the border and into the city You and I can both get jobs Finally see what it means to be living Beautiful song. Welcome back, my friends. We are going electric without question. Question is uh, time and ability and quantity. Uh... Jack and I are very fortunate. We have an amazing analyst at Canada Accord named uh, George uh, Generakis, a uh, man of a generation, I shall say. Uh, cool space you cover, George. Uh, must keep, your, uh, keep you up at night with lots of thoughts going through your mind. Um, hey, a stock that has been uh, uh, loosely on my radar is getting closer as I speak is a name that you do cover. You just raise your price target on it. So I'm actually really excited to talk to you about MP Materials, uh, a rare earth company um, that's in the permanent battery business, is it? Um, but there's some change of technology and engineering at Tesla. So I want you to speak about that. What exactly does MP do? I know they're rare earths and then they process them into near battery formation. Uh, but how does this tie into Tesla? And tell us about the story of MP Materials. It's very intriguing. Sure. So MP Materials uh, owns and operates a mine in Mountain Pass, California that has 
to your, to what your point, rare earth material. And that rare earth material uh, is basically used in many of the magnets that are used across industrial applications globally. And one of those industrial applications are motors that are made for uh, electric vehicles. Um, they're NDFEB magnets, and these motors are permanent magnet motors. Now, <clears throat> With MP specifically, they're going through a three-stage uh, journey into improving the long-term value generation of that mine. So first, and what they've been doing in the past, is basically selling a bag of sand to a Chinese distributor who then uh, distributes that material and has it refined in China. 90% of the world's refined rare earths are in China. So right now, you know, there's plenty of material that gets sent to China, but 90% of that material gets refined there. And, and we have to have to, I have to ask you why, because I have a sense that's to an easier regulatory environment. I right. think that has a lot to do with it. That's yes. A lot, a lot. <laughs> you sort of laughing as you've been answering me. <laughs> that really answers the question. So it's, it's messy, isn't it? Uh, obviously, it's putting a pretty big stain on the planet uh, as, they, as they go through this processing uh, exercise, Correct. Historically, it has, correct. Yeah, yeah, I only want to share that because when some people buy an electric car, they think they're so green. Easy on the ex- ex- excessive greenness because, you know, there's a bit of dirt around the green. It's fine. It's just be aware. But that, but that creates the opportunity with MP, right? If they are able to refine in North America. Well, with through, North American able, standards. If they're able to get through those regulatory hurdles, that creates a mo- or comply, an opportunity. Or comply. Can they, can, can they do it efficiently, efficiently complying with our standards? But, well, the answer to that is... Hopefully, yes, they've embarked at that stage two of their journey, which they've embarked upon at the beginning of this year, where they were finding that material in the United States. And um, we should know a lot more when they report next quarter. They've already had in the initial stages of, of success doing that. And by the end of the year, at some point by the end of the year, they expect to be at full capacity of refining that material here. So we, we should know over the next, whatever that is, nine months, how successful they are. We we happen to be taking the bet that they will be successful in doing that. Mm-hmm. So um, and and so we have a buy rating on the stock. Now there's a third level level to the story, mm-hmm. and where they're using this refined rare material from Mountain Pass, California, and beginning to make magnets as well. And that magnet facility has is being built as we speak in Fort Worth, Texas, and the company has an initial customer, General Motors, who'll be using those magnets to build motors for its uh, upcoming EV launches. So what, what MP has tried to do is just going from a, a seller of a rare earth concentrate, basically that bag of sand, to refining and to then making magnets. Now, you also alluded to what Tesla talked about at the recent analyst day. Yes, I do. I want to speak about that. Yeah, and what Tesla said is that in their upcoming motor, for we were assuming for their next generation EV, which will be a lower cost EV, mm-hmm. they've decided to remove rare earth material from that magnet. Now, they haven't re-engineered and redone the laws of physics. So what Tesla, we think, we're speculating, has decided to do is use an inferior magnet, probably a ferrite magnet, which uses mostly iron, and they've re-engineered their motor such that they think they can achieve very good performance without using rare earth materials. And the reason why they've done that, the overarching theme here about what Tesla's trying to do, and the overarching theme of their analyst day was scaling to extreme size, right? So if you want to build a lot, millions and millions of electric vehicles, 
you better make sure that you need the materials that will make that possible are available to you in huge supply. So uh, rare earth material is, you know, it's not rare itself, but finding it in high enough concentrations to, to make it uh, economically mineable and, and refinable is rare. And the other thing that's rare as well in terms of like it, their ability to scale, a synthetic material we cover also called silicon carbide, and the leader in that market is wolf speed. So they've decided to, in their future motors, and we don't know how much market share these motors will have within Tesla. Let's even presume or assume it has 100% market share in Tesla. Uh, in their future motors, decided to get to completely eliminate rare earths according to Tesla, and they've decided to take down their existing silicon carbide by 75%, thereby eliminating scarce materials from their vehicles. Now, now you know, the initial reaction we completely understand with MP was to sell it uh, on the part of investors because it'll, you know, we have to figure out, okay, what does this mean for the rare earth market? What does this mean for rare earth materials? What does it mean for magnet usage? And, you know, we actually, uh, we cover MP, but we have, Ken Accord, I have to say, has a wonderful mining and materials uh, franchise across the United States with us, mm-hmm. also in Canada and Australia. So we have uh, uh, multiple analysts to cover the rare earth market. Yeah, uh, and, and we think, as do others, that look, even if Tesla moves 100% to non-rare earth magnets, you know, there's still enough of a market out there that the supply gap that we have, because there's going to be a lot more demand for rare earths than supply over the next decade, will still it'll be it'll be very big, just a little bit less than we had or many had expected. Uh, but but also this this market um, we expect over the long term to experience price inflation because, like I said, there's there's a lot of rare earths in the ground. They're not all economically vi- uh, mineable and refinable. And so we think that regardless of all these things that Tesla has said, uh, the rare earth market will experience shortages over the next decade. And with regard specifically to MP, this is a very rare asset, pun intended, because they're one of few Western world, North American specifically companies that is trying to move up that value chain and hmm. become a, a magnet maker in the Western world. And magnets, by the way, not only are 90% of rare earths refined in China, 90% plus of magnets in the world of these NDFEB magnets come from China. And these are wow. important magnets because they're used in EVs, they're used in wind turbines, they're used hmm. in fence applications. It's a very, it's a very, very big deal. And, and MP will have a lock on this market for many years if they're successful in transitioning. Wow. Um, quickly, if we may, on uh, electric vehicles, uh, I want to start with a, a very primary question. I own Ferrari. I own, in my portfolios, uh, George, I own some Ferrari. It's working. I own some Mercedes-Benz. It's working, paying me a 7% dividend to boot. And I own some Tesla, trying to work. Uh, I continue to scratch my head at the valuation of Tesla versus any other automotive company on the board. Most car companies are worth about $50 billion, give or take 10 or 20 Bilskis. Uh, Rivian, a, a new player to the EV market, is already worth $18 billion, but Tesla is worth $700 billion. Mm. They strip the money. Can we justify that valuation? And your target is two seventy-five. dollars So you think the company is worth almost a trillion dollars? Against GM, yeah, and, and look, I, how do we justify that? Help me out with this, George. 
Well, it's very similar to what people said about Apple many years ago when they were crushing Nokia and Motorola. Like, you know, this just doesn't make any sense. It's worth so much more than the handset market. Or they said about Netflix when it was worth so much more than the traditional media you market. These, co- these companies are innovating in, in new markets. And with Tesla specifically, I always just ground myself in earnings and cash flow. And our earnings number for 2025 is around $11. Which gives you then a uh, 20 multiple on the stock, trading 20 times earnings. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, It's that simple, you know, and because they have, they will have, they'll continue to have higher margins than the rest of the industry because they've changed the way cars are made. They've changed the model. And and a big part of our bull thesis over the long term is their ability to upsell software, i.e. self-driving software to owners of electric vehicles that'll significantly enhance their margins as that becomes something that more people want. Yeah, and uh, Rivian Automotive, apparently the, the sexiest truck on the market. Uh, can you give us 30 seconds on that before we let you go, George? Absolutely. Well, look, you know, Rivian has an, an incredibly compelling truck. I have one on order myself. Oh, really? Uh, I've, had it for, I've had it for two years. On order. Uh, but the, yes, but the issue is that hey, they you're patient. can't make them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they just can't make them. You know, they're having a very hard time ramping production. It's not easy to make EVs. Uh, it's not easy to make cars, let alone make EVs. And so um, as we think they'll ramp production this year, they've got about 50,000 vehicles. Uh, more get on the road, more people will like them. Look, this is just an early stage company that has significant, you know, that has is draining significant cash flow that we just have to be patient. I mean, the good news is that people really like their cars. All the reviews are very strong. And we have to take a long-term view on this one. And we've been wrong. I mean, the stock is now about $13, and and we have a buy rating on it. But uh, suffice to say that we think this transition to EVs creates new competitors, new leaders, and we think Rivian will be one of them. You know, I read an interesting report from Morgan Stanley, and in it they said that actually making a traditional car today is extremely easy. You can basically plug and play. You can order all the parts, all the components, and and snap it together like snap-on tools uh, or some Lego. But to make an electric vehicle, that is a whole different kettle of fish from supply chain requirements to uh, the innovation tech. You can't just go and order a la carte all the components required to make an EV, but you can a combustible, apparently. Uh, Is that... does that make some sense to you, George? That's why it pays to be vertically integrated. Anytime a new market forms, you need to be more vertically integrated because the supply chain is is nascent. There aren't the, the, the things that you need to make the product that you want just aren't readily accessible. So, you know, in the case of Rivian, in the case of, and Tesla has been the leader in this by a mile. You need to create your own supply chain for many of the materials and um, components you hey, need to be successful. And you know, on another note, uh, I, I think we're due for a uh, a, a Musk. Uh, what's the word I should use for it? Like a supernova, a little Musk move. He hasn't done anything. He's been pretty boring lately. Not getting into trouble. Not flapping his gums too much. Not <laughs> I would say a forty, on, a 40 billion Musk dollar acquisition of Twitter kind of like slowed him down a little bit. I think something's chilled him. Something's chilled him. I, I like you know it's funny. The, the more you like, the you the more you're hated. There's a lot of people who really hate the guy. I think the guy is an absolute genius. Um, George, I cannot thank you enough for your genius, uh, your insight uh, into a very very exciting space. Uh, we're long the stock got a position. Uh, we're hanging on. I, uh, it's quite exciting, I must say. Um, but you know, boring is good too. So you mix it together. Have a good weekend, my friend. Uh, we will speak with you Thanks, very man. soon. Go take a quick break. Quit. <laughs> blah, blah. We're going to take a quick break. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto.
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Had to wait for that. But you do have to have faith. And so many things in life, my good friends, you know, I'm, I'm a recreational chef. And, you know, when I go to George Brown and take our courses, they just say, follow the recipe. Have faith. Follow the recipe. Uh, indeed. Yep. You have to have some faith. You know, you fly in an airplane, 30,000 feet. Uh, you have faith. <laughs> oh, you have to have faith. I speak to pilots often about the planes and about reliability about them. They say they are incredibly reliable today. Uh, and, and, and that's the irony, you know, I think some 500,000 airplanes land safely every day. And that is not a news item. 500,000 planes land safely every single day. That is not a news item. But if one crashes, it's news. Oh, I would say we had a crash in the market last week. We had a crash in the market. That is news. Two, two regional breaks, banks crashed. And so that, how many regional banks did um, Scott say there were in America? I think he said thousands of them. I don't know, the thousands, hundreds, lots. Lots. Lots, lots, lots. Um, but yeah, you had something break. You had a crash. Uh, and then brings out all the bears. We get the calls of people worried about their deposits in Canadian banks, uh, people concerned about runs on the banks, people concerned about systematic risk or systemic risk. Um, what I look back on, Wolf, I look back on COVID. Look, what happened during COVID? The economy shut down. We're locked in our basements. My wife is disinfecting groceries <laughs> on the front porch. This is what's going on. Right? That, that's what happened. And the system survived. So you got to have faith, Wolf. Oh, great financial crises. Great Depression, Great Crash of 87, Tech Wreck, et cetera, et cetera. And you, it, it was ironic, Jack, because we came over to the studio speaking about the Tech Wreck of 2000, and I want to bring some uh, published material, uh, work of our analysts, so we could engage better uh, on the radio here with them. Uh, but sure enough, we used the Xerox. Absolutely. We used the Xerox, right? Yeah, you look at central banks. Well, if they have tools in their toolbox, they have been tightening. They raised rates too far. They broke something. We expected that. We didn't know when it was you going to happen. Jack, we didn't know when it was going to happen, though. We didn't no. know when it's going to happen. So I'm not going to claim that I did. But, but you, called, you made is, a great, great but statement. But the fact is, it shows you that they've been raising rates for about a year and a half now. You're towards the back end of that rate hike cycle. That sets the deck for the recovery. I'm not sure if it's going to be the next six months, next 12 months. I, Who honestly, knows? if you have cash, my good friends... You, you can start to do some work in here. I, I'm convinced you can start, to, not if you're a three-day time horizon investor. If you have a three-year time horizon, put some money to work right here, right now. Now, if you don't know what to buy, call us. We'll obviously guide you. That's what we do. We help people manage wealth and build wealth. And we're very good at that. We help people build wealth over the long term. That's the only way to build wealth is time and consistency and quality and having faith in process. And, you know, if, if you don't have faith in process, I go back to buy names that you have some basic knowledge of, i.e. even the TD bank that's under pressure with their exposure to uh, some U.S. regional banks. You buy TD, you collect your dividend, you close your eyes for five years, I think you're going to make some money. Layer on some Timmy's. Do I like the product? Hate the product. I like the lineups. I see lineups at Tim's. Have faith that they're going to be fine. Come on, people go back time and time again to Timmy's. Diversify yourself in quality and work with experts. Jack and I, of course, are those experts perhaps at you are looking for call us visit us wolfgangkline.com the wolf on baystreet.com we're both portfolio managers at the loving home of canada Cord genuity now known as cg wealth management and well we have a lot of fun uh, i get to do this radio show once a week as well an absolute treat uh, we got to keep our producer hey eh? 
We better keep our producer. That's the next thing. Yep, we're going to save the producer. There was once a thing in Toronto about saving the Canadian Music Hall. There was a music hall over at the CNE grounds, and on radio they did a petition to save the music hall. They didn't save it. It got toppled. <laughs> so sometimes you fight in vain. My friends, I have faith. Indeed. And we have a great weekend as well. Please, any questions about money, call us. Uh, slow, steady, 80 wins the race. Quality, no speculation. Stick to your plan. but And do not panic ever when the market goes down. Panic at the top and get out at the top. I'll, I'll give you that one. Not when it's down. Wrong time. Have a good weekend. Speak to you soon. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.